Welcome back to week two of our three-week series, Love Sick. Kind of the time of year. I know Valentine's Day is coming up. We actually have a family, our marriage retreat that's coming up this uh, month for uh, our ministry efforts here. So a lot of love thoughts, at least, are in the air. And yet, at the same time, I think we'd admit, as we look at the world, a lot of people are love sick, longing for something real, something to satisfy them. Uh, something that only Jesus can offer. And so if you were with us last week, you would have recalled with Pastor Tim or Pastor Mike defining love very well from scriptures. God is love. And, and love isn't just a feeling or emotion, but it is God in, in flesh and blood. Christ committed unconditional sacrificial love that will never fail. And such love is what the world needs. And such love is yours and mine. Today, we uh, extend our message, our thought, uh, where we see that love isn't just something we receive and experience in Christ, but it is something that we are transformed by, and we then are gifted to exercise, to live out. Uh, we too have been changed to love. And so we're going to really see today that love does. Love is truly an action word. Uh, before we jump into our message, inspired by 1 John 4, 11, why don't we open with prayer? Sanctify us by the truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. So, so caught up by uh, the message from last week about what love is and seeing that love is so powerful, the love of God, that it does, it changes, it transforms, and we do. I thought I would turn to my good friend, ChatGPT. Uh, I don't know, any of you been using ChatGPT these days? AI, artificial intelligence? Okay, some of you. Uh, if, if you haven't, and I'm kind of new to this myself, definitely not an expert on it, uh, it, it's artificial intelligence. It's software that you can type questions in and a prompt or directions for. And then this alien intelligence, I don't, you know, <laughs> this artificial intelligence, this computer software program just synthesizes all this, the best of information, and spits it out to you and what you're hopefully looking for. Although nothing's perfect, right? So anyway, I thought I would ask ChatGPT about the transformative love of Jesus. And I asked it this way. I thought, you know, such love, right? That inspires, that transforms, that's going to motivate people, right? But I'm just curious, what would artificial intelligence say are the greatest examples of love, sacrificial love in human history that has promoted or motivated a cause? Would you like to see the top 10 that I was given? Okay, here we go. Well, you don't really have a choice. I'm going to do it anyway. So here's 10. Uh, number one, Nelson Mandela. So really a, a civil rights leader for freedom of his people. Joan of Arc, right? Fought for independence. A soldier, a woman, uh, leading many in battle. Gandhi, uh, for India, again, fighting for freedom for his people. Um, Malala Yousafzai, I'm not sure I pronounced that right, I tried my best, but out of Pakistan, somebody, someone similar, or civil rights activists in our own country. So no surprise, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Rosa Parks was a list, a whole list of activists from the 1950s, 60s, and so on. Florence Nightingale, uh, nursing and humanitarian aid, some uh, great advancements there. Oscar Schindler, we think of the Holocaust, or Steven Spielberg's movie, Schindler's List. Cesar Chavez, uh, plight for farmers, we, th we think of him perhaps, at least that's what ChatGPT thought of. 
Ong San Suu Kyi, I, again, I hope I pronounced that correctly, uh, cause of democracy in, in Myanmar, a, a woman activist that's been imprisoned for many years. Firefighters and first responders, that kind of rounds out the list, and rightly so. Uh, you think of 9-11 and, and what they did in New York City and gave their lives to rescue people. And it's motivating, it's inspiring. People still talk about these, these figures today, don't they? Let's top 10. So maybe my question for you, is anybody missing from that list? Anybody you were maybe hoping to see, like, maybe like Jesus? <laughs> That's what I was... So I decided I was feeling a little feisty. Whenever I get something I don't necessarily like, I, I write back. I probably should have waited. But it's a computer, so this is what I said in response, because you can do this with ChatGPT. I typed away, what about Jesus? Question mark. And the AI responded, oh, Jesus is one of history's most significant examples of sacrifice for a cause, dot, 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 and went on for another explanation, paragraph or two. Then I felt a little feisty. I wasn't satisfied. So I was like, well, why didn't you list Jesus in the top 10 examples? Chat GPT said, I apologize for not including Jesus in the initial list of examples. The omission was not intentional, and I appreciate your important point. And on and on it went. Well, that wasn't good enough for me. So I asked, are you sure you aren't programmed to exclude Jesus? ChatGPT very graciously said, I'm not programmed to exclude any specific religious or historical figures from my response, dot, 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 dot. I sincerely apologize for any offense or misunderstanding it may have caused. So I was like, wow, isn't that fantastic? Finally, computers are apologizing these days, and that's great. They should have been doing that for a long time. Or maybe, maybe it's me. And then, uh, to boot, uh, sincerely apologize. Like, wow, I didn't know computers could do that. Or be sincere. So, I don't know what to make of that. But in ChatGPT's defense, maybe, I, I started thinking, like, well, why didn't Jesus, his love, his sacrificial love, which has inspired a third of the world today to see him as Lord and Savior? Talk about a cause that has even invaded other religions. Maybe they don't call him Lord and Savior, but they don't know how to handle him, so they put him somewhere. How is it it didn't register? Maybe it was because it was thinking political causes, social causes, and so on. So I'll give it a pass. But, but I guess it made me think a little bit more, and, and this is probably more of a practical question I have. How many Christians, including you and me, maybe can fall into a pattern of looking at the love of Jesus, sacrificial, unconditional love. If you want to know what love is, undoubtedly look to Jesus on the cross. I mean, there's a love for people who are not lovable, but he loved anyway. As we Christian people just contemplate the love of God, is it possible that, yeah, we could be moved by that somewhat, we can receive it, we experience it, we love it, and yet somehow it doesn't translate to a cause in our life. It doesn't motivate us perhaps. We think, yeah, heaven's good, eternity's good, lack of a better word, ticket to heaven. But then like James said, we, we kind of, we turn away from the mirror of Christ's love, that it, it's now our image and we forget what we look like. Is that possible maybe in our life? I, I look at my life and I see that, yeah, like I so often forget, oh, God has so loved me and therefore love does. 
I'm not like I was before. That, that's really John's point. I, I probably, instead of bothering ChatGPT, should have just prompted John. Hey, John, you tell me. What's the biggest example of love and what does that do for us? And, and John would have said this in 1 John 4.11. I've got it in your notes if you're filling in the blank. Uh, I'm going to read the whole verse, but you'll be able to fill in the thoughts here. John says, after just standing in awe of God's love, seeing it, he's the one that was there at the table the night Jesus was betrayed. He was there at the cross. He was there as a witness of the resurrection. He said, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Yeah. It inspires us, doesn't it? To be different, to love everybody. And so our job today, our wrestling with this message, we're, we're going to be taking a look at what love does. Again, love comes from God. Oh, love did. And that love is ours. And now we're going to see that love... It really inspires us three things, to love God back. And God, in loving him back, says, love others. And then love doesn't hate, doesn't sin. It, it hates and refuses to delve itself in evil. So those are the three thoughts that we're going to come to today. The first one is love does for God. Now, if we think about John's words there, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. You might wonder, well, he doesn't really say love God. He just goes right to the neighbor. But I'd like to take a moment, and obviously we'll see in John's letter just a few verses later, that he has this in mind. That love for neighbors, loving others, which is the end goal of what God has done for us, it has everything to do with loving God first. That's a no-brainer, but just don't miss the connection. Uh, Jesus even said it this way, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you cannot do one good thing. You can't love. But connected to me, loving me, who so loved you, you, you can love others. And the whole scriptures speak this way. A couple passages to share. Galatians 5.14, I think it's interesting. The Apostle Paul, again, seeing Jesus, understanding his will, his love, having been transformed from Pharisee to ambassador of the gospel. He sums it all up this way. Our life, our response to such love. Not to earn heaven, we already have it. God has loved us. But just how to live, how to show thanks. He says, the whole law of love can be summed up in this one command Love your neighbor as yourself. It's all inspired by the love of God, connected back to the love of God. Gives us this thought that love does. Love does for neighbor. Uh, John, he says it even more so in the flip side of things. 1 John 4, 20 through 21. Notice how, again, just a dozen passages later after our theme, he spells it out. He says, if anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For whoever does not love a brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Uh, just kind of a paraphrase, different version on the screen. So to love others before you can do that, in other words, you really do need to be caught up in the love of God. And it's a mutual thing. First, he loves us, transforms us. And then we, we love him. We love him. And now we're ready to love others. 
So I'm going to kind of play this out, break it down a little bit further so we can maybe picture it in more of a concrete way because love can often be abstract. Let's picture you and I, we catch up with Jesus right after he met with Nicodemus and in our gospel, right? Where Jesus conveys to Nicodemus, hey, you're, you're trying to earn God's love. Let me just give it to you. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. If you believe, you're right with God. So that whole conversation ended up, and Nicodemus was still wondering, like, I know he's from God, but can I, can I embrace this and believe it? I mean, is this really transformative? So we show up, and we have all of history, and we've seen how it's played out, and we, we know the love of God. So we're a little smarter than Nicodemus, by God's grace, who was a Pharisee, so that's saying something. Can you imagine sitting down at the table with Jesus? And you look across and you see the son of God in flesh and blood. And you know all that's coming for, for him and, and how he'll prove himself to be reliable and to be loved and to be transformative. So we're going to have a conversation. But I suppose before I would have that conversation, I'd probably just sit there. Wouldn't you do this? For like a thousand years, just look at him like, wow. Okay. It's just, it's you. It's you. What, what we'll experience in heaven. So maybe SpongeBob SquarePants a thousand years later, if we start the conversation, just in awe of God's love. We ask, Lord, is this not what we would ask? How can I show? How can I show that I love you? You are everything to me. What's love look like for you? Um, how do I show my thanks, Lord? And I can just picture Jesus, right? So pleased as, as we're in a relationship with him. He, he looks at us and he, he would say, and again, summarizing the scriptures, and this is dangerous. I'm going to play the part of Jesus. I'm nowhere close. So just bear with me. It would sound so much better having him say it. But Jesus would say, tell you what, you know how I have kept you first. Keep me first. That's what love does. Keep, keep me first, the treasure of your heart. You're the apple of my eye. And, and I know you've, you've got that sinful nature that still plagues you. My grace covers that. Don't let it beat you up. Don't get guilty and, and ashamed about it. But hold me first. Nothing else. Uh, and as to that, in holding me first, you'll know my love more. And, and you'll see what I've called you to, and that's to be that messenger for my name. By the way, you're part of the family. <laughs> you're a child of God. You bear my name, an eternal name. That means all that's mine is yours. And so when you live in the world, just go out and be messengers of that. Ambassadors, reflect my image. It's yours. That's why you're called Christian, little Christ. And so when you live, just keep my reputation intact. Let it all be about grace. Just be honest, open, confess your sins, cling to my grace, and share with others what love really looks like in holiness. And, and, and by the way, to do that, you got to stay connected to me. So the third thought is rest in me. When you get weary and burdened, come to me. Come to my word. That, that's my mindset. That's my love. Come to my word in worship. And, and come to, to my word with two or three, because I'm there. And just meditate with me alone, behind closed doors. Pray. I hear you. That, that's how you show love to me. 
And what's our, our thought? Our response is, absolutely. I love you. I'll keep you first. I'll be a messenger of your name because your name's my name. And I will rest in you because I get it. The only way to, to be filled with love is to be with you so that I might be loving. Did you catch what I did there too? In summarizing Jesus' thoughts? Maybe you're filling in the blanks to love God so that you're filled up with his love. Isn't it really to do the first three commandments? Have no other gods before me. Honor my name. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep him first. To live out his reputation to others. And the only way you do that is rest in him. Beautiful commands. They're not burdensome, even though we can hardly keep them. They're beautiful. They protect life. They protect love. And they keep that connection. So guess what? We're ready to conquer the world in love. Which leads me to my next thought. Part two. Love does for others. You know, Jesus, he, he works through what God desires in our relationship with him. Also that you can be of effect. You can be transformed. You can love like, well, nobody else in the world except his people. And so staying connected to God, loving God, it fills us with love and we love. And now we tell Jesus, I get it. It's beautiful. Your commandments, I remember when I was in confirmation class, it was a bear. I just had to memorize them. How silly was I that I would think it's a burden or a chore, but this is life. Thank you for your patience, Jesus. Help me love you. Jesus again smiles and covers us with grace. And then we would ask, well, so then how, how, how can I be you in the world I, I live in? And what does it look, to, look like to love other people? And he said, well, I, I got some ideas. In fact, let's show the ideas. All these passages up here, I won't go through them all. They're just references there. But he has a structure. He's got a thought. He would say, you know, there are people that I've given in this sin-broken world to bless you. They're, they're those in positions of authority over you. Whether church, parents, or homes, uh, and, and churches, and schools, and, and government, right? institutions that are out there. And these are people that bear my authority. And the reason is because I'm all about life. Life I created, people who are born in my image, and they've lost it, and they need time of grace, and they need to be protected and have a chance to hear so that my image can be restored. It's all about protecting life. And so what I ask of you is to really submit, to really love those in authority over you, whether or not they're good people. And, and don't worry, as you love them, it is mine to avenge. I will call them to give an account. But if you just submit to that order and that authority... There's protection. There's boundaries. This is where life flourishes. Apart from those authorities, if they crumble, it's anarchy. It's chaos. It's maybe like what your culture is seeing today. So no matter what, love those in authority over you. If they tempt you to disobey me, stand firm on the truth in love and face the consequences just as I went to the cross. And then Jesus transitions thoughts in that authority and reverence and respect and love, this is where life happens. This is where you interact with people, so love them. Love all people, the unborn, the elderly, those who can't stand up for themselves. Love them. Go the extra mile for them. Just as I went to the extra mile for you, 
And whatever challenges they have, and even if people think they have no quality of life or worthiness, it's not how I see them. Let me decide when their life comes to an end. You just love them. Love them all. And love where life comes from. Man and woman, marriage. Out of that stability, godly children arise. More light, more salt for this world. So honor the marriage bed. Protect it. Because when that breaks, society crumbles. The church crumbles. Life cannot flourish when families fail. And if marriage is not your thing, if, if you can't envision loving someone deeply in marriage, that's okay. I got a better idea. If you're gifted this way, love widely. Singleness, celibacy, be the apostle Paul. Advance the kingdom, love others. But respect marriage, sexuality, gender. These are designs of my making to radiate me, the church. Protect it. Give the next generation a chance. And then everything else, the property I give, the food, and the, the reputations that people have, just love it all because all of that is provided by my Father's hands so that life flourishes, so that my image can be restored. Be ambassadors of that. That's Romans 13, Matthew 25, Ephesians 5, 1 Corinthians Seven, Philippians 2 and Mark 10 is this mindset that Jesus himself had. He, he's like, as you look at everyone else, then don't see them as you would in a worldly sense. But in my eyes, always see everyone else as better than yourself. And remember that I came though I'm master and Lord. I did not come to be served, but to be slave of all. Be the same. Love. And again, we are amazed at his wisdom. Truly, this is the son of God. And if we were to sum it up, well, then love does commandments four to eight. Right? Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. All of that is to protect life and let it flourish and let it be restored to Jesus' image. That's how we love. After that conversation, we, we wrap up our thoughts and, and we say, well, this is what love does. Jesus, is there anything that love does not? And again, Jesus is so glad we asked. And he loves us. So he says, yeah, love does not sin. Sin is anti-love. Sin is selfishness incarnate. Sin is me-oriented, not other. So don't sin. It doesn't bless you, it's not good for you, and it destroys everyone else. Uh, the Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 4, 8, following. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. Notice the knots now. Uh, it doesn't look at people in higher positions and say, oh, I wish I were that. Why are you that? God or others? It says, praise God, you're there. How can I be of encouragement and celebrate you? It doesn't envy. It only rejoices. It, doesn't boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, right? Look at all that love is not. It isn't easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, so it forgives, come back next week. Talk a lot about that. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not fail. When love refrains from sin, it never fails. There's always hope. Jesus is proof. 
Jesus rounds it out by saying, yeah, don't covet. (laughs) Don't want anything that's forbidden. It destroys. It's not good. It's sin. Which leads us to the last fill in the blank. Love does. Commandments 9 and 10. It's interesting, in talking with Jesus and the apostles and the prophets, it all goes back to the law of love. That, that law that, yes, threatened us at first, was a mirror and condemned us, but drove us to Jesus, gave us the gospel, gave us real love to rescue us. That same law, we see that it, there wasn't anything wrong with that. It's a beautiful guide of how to live. And so that's our task for this coming week. A takeaway kind of reminds me of my experience as a dad, a father of four. My oldest in a few months will be 21. My next in line will be 19 in about a month. My third is well, just turned 17, so less than a year, and she's 18 on her own, all right? <laughs> just, I got one that's 13, so I got four and a half years left, but who's, who's counting, right? I mean, I love them all. I do, and honestly, I'm not worthy of any of them. Parents, that God would so bless us with precious souls to raise. He's good. And it's humbling as a parent. And and again, this is all about love, isn't it? I guess two things that I have learned as a parent of sinful children, and they got that sinfulness from me, (laughs) is that when they would argue and bicker and fight, and they did, we're all sinful. I, I got a taste of what it was like for the father above to look at me like, oh, but you still love me. You still have all compassion for me. Perhaps I I should do the same for my kids. And so to humbly tell my kids when they're fighting, and I didn't always do it patiently. I'm a sinner too. But to say, hey, 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 um, you know what's going on here? It's your sinful nature. It's getting the better of you. You got to kill it. Fight it. That's not who you are. But God has loved you. And then I would share, and I guess you got that from me, so I understand. But that's not who we are. Not the Mondays. Because Jesus has us. And then I I would ask him this. I would say, can we start again? And there would be boundaries. There would be punishments because they got to learn not to let the sinful nature get the better of them. But I would often ask them, and you could ask my kids, because they would often roll my eyes over time. They'd be like, oh, I know where this is going. Dad's going to ask the question, hey, let's start again. What's love look like here? As you think of your brother who is just punching you to death, (laughs) and you were shoving him, what's love look like? How can we be different? Because we are. What's love look like? And that's a phrase that they'll carry with their whole life, throughout their whole life. What's love look like in their relationships and in their life? And that's, that's the takeaway I would ask for you. In everything, ask, what's love look like from me, for God, for others? When you get up tomorrow morning and it's back to Monday and, and work and whatever else, I want you to ask yourself, as you're maybe stressed and you're a little bit behind and you miss your coffee and maybe you're driving down the road and you're, you're hoping there's nobody in line at the drive-thru, but there's three Ask, what's love look like? What's love, love, love look like in the hand gestures I'm about ready to wave along? <laughs> what's love look like? What's love look like when I talk to the person behind the register who is not happy herself? What's love look like when I tip? 
What's love look like when I go to work and there's that coworker and he's just always talking. He just keeps talking. I got things to do. That's probably me around here, so I apologize. What's love look like for that person? even though your agenda just never ends. What's love look like when you're tired and you're on your third cup of coffee in the afternoon and it doesn't do the trick and you've got another task that was just dropped on you unasked? What's love look like? When you go home and maybe you connect with your friends, what's love look like? Or your spouse and it hasn't been going well and maybe for weeks or months or years, what's love look like? Who's going to break that cycle of sin and hatred? What's love look like? You, you will, because you know what love looks like. Love looks like Jesus. And Jesus does amazing things, transformative things. So that's my prayer. Every waking moment for the rest of this week, just ask yourself, what's love look like here? See God's invitation into doing loving things. Cling to the cross when you don't, but don't give up. Because this is our life. This is our purpose. Love does. And then gather here next week and see how great love is and how tough and how it crucifies us because love, well, we Christian people, we love different. Amen. Please stand for prayer. Lord God Almighty, maker and preserver, we praise and thank you for all that you give us day after day. We thank you especially for giving us your only son who came into this life to show us what love really is and that love does. And so we ask that you would be with us this week. Help us to always be mindful of your love and your will. And Lord, let us be loving people. Let us improve and strive for more. And Lord, cover us when we fail because we are still sinful people. And Lord, help us to be mindful of one another's needs, heal those who are sick, cheer those who are sad, calm those who are distressed, comfort all who are old and infirm. Lord, let us be your messengers and your hands and feet to them.